McLean Middleton Minutes, a podcast dedicated to business, legal, and community news in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. You'll hear about all things legal and how they affect business. You'll also hear from local business and community leaders sharing stories of their success. In law and business, good things often take time. So, without a minute to spare, let's get started with McLean Middleton Minutes. Thank you for joining us for McLean Middleton Minutes. What's her story? I'm attorney Jennifer Parent. And I'm attorney Linda Johnson. Today's guest is Eileen Laponis, the executive director at the New Hampshire Food Bank, a program of Catholic Charities New Hampshire and the only food bank in the Granite State. Last year, the organization distributed more than 17 million pounds of non-perishable food items, fresh produce, and meats to food agencies throughout the state. Eileen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I want to start off with something I just said, that the New Hampshire Food Bank is the only food bank in the state of New Hampshire, because I think that would surprise a lot of our listeners. Can you talk to us the difference between a food bank and a food pantry and what makes the work you are doing different? Sure. There's always confusion with that. The food bank is more like a hub and spoke system with the food pantries really interacting with the end clients. So we are kind of the charitable backbone of food distribution in the state. And we have over 400 partner agencies throughout the state. And so we work with them to reach the food insecure. And I'd like to talk a bit about, so our listeners can understand about food insecurity. It's a term we've heard more and more about. And, And I read in this past year, you actually wrote a column about the reality that there are families who have to make a decision between things like, can I pay my rent? Can I buy the medication my family needs? Or can I buy food? And the latest number, as I was trying to get at, what's the latest number? That one in nine people are food insecure. And that includes about 12% of children. So I was hoping you could tell us, are those the accurate current numbers? And what does it mean to be food insecure? Food insecurity means not having consistent access to enough nutritious food to lead a healthy lifestyle, whether that access is financial or whether it's transportation, not having enough consistent access to nutritious food is food insecurity. Currently, the numbers in New Hampshire are one in seven of all New Hampshire residents are food insecure and approximately nine and a half percent of children. But those numbers that you quoted are more um, per county. Those numbers differ. This is on average throughout the state. Um, but it can go as high as 18.5% of children and 12.2% of all residents. But that's in a particular county. It's kind of sad when you think about the fact that New Hampshire has about well over a million, I'm not sure it's about 1.3, 1. 1.4 yep. million residents. That's a lot of our neighbors who are dealing with this hidden issue, I think. You know, you right. think a bit about it. So how is the food bank working. Tell us the mechanics. How does the food bank work to help these people meet that need? Sure. Well, it's through our 400 partner agencies because we are only as strong as they are. So we concentrate on making them as strong, as effective as possible in their community. We deliver food to those outside 50 miles of the Manchester hub of where we are, our warehouse. If you're inside that 50 miles, you order on our agency express. It's just like Amazon. 
you have a time, a date to pick up your order here at the food bank, or we have a delivery system, like I said, outside the food bank. We are working with our agencies to identify those folks. We are working with our mobile food pantries to go throughout the state. Um, to give you an idea just about how we got through COVID, um, mobile food pantries were an intricate part of that. Also, we had the National Guard that was with us. Before COVID, we might do maybe six to 10 mobile food pantries in a year. During COVID, we were doing three a week. In 21, we were doing two a week. And this year we've gotten it down to one a week and then we plan to continue at one a week. And we have contingencies just in case things go a little sideways this winter. But that's one of the ways that we are meeting the need. I think that COVID has really lifted the veil off food insecurity and shown folks how close you can be to really struggling to have those decisions. You know, do I put oil in the tank or do I pay the rent? And where does food come? Food comes always last. So working with those partner agencies and making them as strong as possible is how we meet the need in the state. Now, to help our listeners with the answer that you just gave, um, when you say you make the order, and is that order coming from the food pantries themselves? Yep. To you to say, we have this need, here's what we need. And then that is delivered or picked up. And when you host uh, the the drives that you speak about, one per week is quite a lot uh, yes. of logistics. Uh, where, where do you host those? We have certain areas in the states where we have a consistent presence, and there's other parts of the state that we look at. When we come back from a mobile food pantry, we will look at the intake sheet, and we only ask folks, you know, what town are you from? How many individuals in the family that you're picking up for? Um, and that's it. And I think that's when, one of the ways that we've been successful in meeting the need has been these mobile food pantries where it's really easy and discreet. Um, and for folks, if it's the first time that they've even had to rely on charitable food distribution, um, it's an easy introduction. And then we also give them information while they're there on the agencies that are around them and also uh, their eligibility to apply for SNAP. Um, SNAP is the new term for what we would normally consider food stamps, Supplemental Nutritional Application Program. So SNAP is the new food stamps. So we try to give as many resources as possible. When you actually think about this totality of the number of people in need and your ability, whether it's through the donations uh, monetarily or food that's being uh, donated to the food bank, that you can't meet all the needs. And, and how do you deal with that? That's the worst part. It's the worst part of the job because I, I know I'm not meeting everybody. You know, um, it's funny, Greg Kreschmeyer uh, recently when they were doing Lend a Helping Can, he asked me pretty much the same question. He's like, how do you keep doing it? <laughs> and I was just like, I don't think there's anybody more stubborn than me <laughs> to do it. Um, but there, it takes a certain amount of, it's a really hard question because it's heartbreaking. I know I'm not meeting everybody, you know, I know everything that I give out in the mobile food pantries, they, I, they could probably take more. I know physically what we can do and we are physically at that limit. So as much as intellectually, I would like to be able to say I am reaching the tummies of every food insecure person in the state. I have to be cognizant of my physical resources that are, make that possible. And we just don't have that. What can listeners do to help? And are there volunteer opportunities or what are the different types of opportunities or things people can do to help this situation? Um, well, if you're close to the food bank, we'd love to have your help here. We have a, a tremendous number of volunteer opportunities here. 
Um, we have to sort all the food that is donated to us. Um, we have to sort through the fresh rescue that comes from our grocery partners. That's when they freeze the protein before um, it goes off date. So there's plenty of opportunities here, but also if you are outside the Manchester area and you wanna find one of our partner agencies nearest you to volunteer at, you can go to our website, click on the button, find food, and either type in your town or your county and it will populate all our partner agencies that are within that area. And then you can call them and volunteer there as well. So they you can also here. donate on our website. The buying power that we have is tremendous. Although I gotta say, the prices have gone up. Supply chain is a little closer to normal. Um, still some challenges here and there, um, but certainly you can donate to us. We have been efforts and purchased that. So we are purchasing a tremendous amount of food. So financial donations are always welcome. And you can't buy the food unless you have the money to buy the food and it, that money has to come from somewhere. So certainly this is being taped now in December of 2022, but year-round donations are welcome. But if anybody's thinking about their year-end, uh, you know, philanthropic dollars, this is certainly a great place to, to donate. Thank you. We could certainly use it. And, and Eileen, you talked about going on the website and putting in your town and, and you have your partner agencies. Are those the, the 400 agencies yep. that you were talking about? Yep. Now I know, I mean, you're talking about donations and what people can do to help and I know all nonprofits can benefit from donations, um, particularly this time of year, but um, your organization year round, this is an issue. And you started talking about, you know, people do donate physical items like canned goods, uh, but they also can donate dollars. But mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about how the money people donate actually can go a lot further than what the average person can buy. Uh, and do I have it right that you can provide two meals for every dollar donated? I wish that was still true. But like I said, prices have gone up. So two meals is now a dollar and 28 cents. But still, that's tremendous buying power. The, the other thing is we also accept donations that are non-food because SNAP dollars can only be spent on food. So if we are able to save folks money on health or beauty items or cleaning products, and we take those in as well. Um, and our pantries are stocked with that as well. That gets that much more money to be spent on food with SNAP benefits. And is there a list of what you would accept for donations on the website? Yes. Perfect. And you talked about with COVID, we saw spikes in food insecurity. You also mentioned uh, the increase of prices uh, that I don't think is going away anytime soon. So when I think about it, I mean, the idea of distributing food throughout the state to those in need seems like a monumental task in and of itself, uh, but it's not the only thing that the food bank does. Can you tell us about some of the other programs that the New Hampshire Food Bank has in place? Oh, sure. We have lots. Um, we have a production kitchen that produces 5,000 meals a week in um, hotel pans that feed about 20 to 25 for the aggregate feeding programs that our food pantries may have, after school feeding programs, feeding programs for the elderly. Um, and in that production kitchen, we have a culinary job training program for folks who are underemployed or unemployed and looking to change careers and get into the hospitality industry. It's eight weeks long, it's free of charge and it starts every Monday, it's on a rolling basis. So they are actually helping to make those meals that are going out to the food insecure while they're learning their culinary skills. 
Can I, can I ask you a question about that too? I, sure. I read that um, that program has been accredited by the Culinary Federation Education Foundation. That's fantastic. And yeah. what, is that, what does that mean for your program? Oh, it's a real feather in our cap. And, you know, it's just something that our, that our graduates can, you know, boast about as well. Um, they can graduate with the opportunity to have a service-safe manager level um, certification and that they came from an accredited program. So I think it speaks more to the student's employability. And that's what we're really looking to do. Perfect. So what are some other items um, or programs Perfect. that the food bank has? So we have a cooking matters program, which is culinary education for families, individuals, um, and children. And that's where folks learn um, about, you know, how to shop on a budget and about nutrition and, and cooking in general. We also have a SNAP outreach line and the nicest person in the world is on the end of it. And they'll help you uh, walk through the application if you're having a hard time with it. We also have a production garden here in Manchester where you can volunteer during our summer hours. Um, also, along with our SNAP outreach, we run two SNAP incentive programs. One is called Granite State Market Match, and the other is called Double Up Food Bucks. And that's where you can double your buying power with your SNAP dollars in the farmers markets and retail environments. We also have a, a number of summer USDA food service programs that we run throughout the state. Um, that's for feeding kids during the summer when free and reduced lunch is not available to them at schools. Um, I spoke to you about our mobile food pantries. Um, I spoke briefly about our fresh rescue program where our grocery partners um, freeze any proteins before they go out of date. And we also have a New Hampshire Feeding New Hampshire program, which we're pretty proud of. Um, we were recently awarded a USDA grant for over two years, just under a million dollars. And that's where we fund directly to our agencies and to farmers so that our agencies are able to purchase um, local New Hampshire products. And we also do some forward contracting and we've done some bulk buying. And it's really been tremendous uh, just recently because of the um, decline in protein that our grocery partners have seen. We've seen a tremendous decline, but we've been able to make up for it with New Hampshire farmers. To date, I think we've purchased over 2,000 pounds of ground beef from our New Hampshire farmers to go to our food insecure. And I think I read you had about 170 farms participating in the program. Yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been, we, you know, it's grown over time. It started as a pilot, I think, four years ago with like $10,000 in the North Country Co-op. And then we've just built it every year since then. And then we were really fortunate to work with the New Hampshire Department of Agriculture to go after that USDA grant, secure it. So that, fun, that program is going to be funded for two years. Well, that's certainly a phenomenal program. So you're, it's kind of like the circle of uh, dependency and assistance that helps each other, the local farmers and the, the local family and individuals in need. So I, I wasn't aware of that program. That's pretty cool. Oh, it's been great. Last year, we had a farmer that uh, told our food broker it was the first time in 10 years they sold out of apples. And that's what I want to hear. You know, I want to hear your cooler's empty, your pockets are lined, and you're ready for the winter. And let's talk about what we're going to forward contract for next year. That sounds great. Now, I know that you could just continue to speak only about the food bank, but our program is called What's Her Story. So I wanted to turn a little bit about you. And I've certainly seen that you have a unique and varied background. You've been both in the for-profit and the non-profit arena, and you spent time in analytics financing. Uh, for a while with uh, charter schools for a number of years, early stage venture capital, a stint doing consultant work, 
And, you know, how is it that you made your way to the food bank, but good on the food bank to have someone with such a varied background to draw from? So tell mm -hmm. us about that. Well, I grew up in the Hudson Valley and um, had a, you know, father who grew up in the fruit business. They had a, a farm, a fruit farm in the Hudson Valley, and it was very sustainable. So I had a very entrepreneurial kind of upbringing, farm-like farm upbringing. And so we made everything from scratch. I think I'm trying to give you a root explanation as to how I got back into the food bank. So that upbringing was very entrepreneurial. And at the time, um, I did have an affinity for numbers. And so I just kind of figured, oh, I guess I'm going to end up in finance. And in the Hudson Valley, you know, everyone's goal is to go work for IBM, you know. <laughs> and then I, I did... Um, enjoy my time in finance with Fidelity, but I was really interested more. I had a brother-in-law that was in venture capital and what he was doing sounded really interesting growing these companies. Went back and got my MBA um, at the University of New Hampshire and studied under Bill Wetzel at the Center for Venture Research. Bill Wetzel was a, a professor who coined the term angel investor and worked for Bill for a while, um, put together a feasibility study of turning um, Keys, much like the Research Triangle Park down in North Carolina, they wanted to kind of make a research park out of Keys, and they wanted an incubator in there. So I did a study on that, and then they ended up hiring me to run the incubator. Um, and that was that was probably one of the most enjoyable and uniquely challenging parts of my life when I'm working with angel investors to get them to invest in um, entrepreneurs. And you know, entrepreneurs are a different breed. <laughs> And I can remember at one point being frustrated and talking with my father and saying, you know, entrepreneurs, dad, they're driving me crazy. You know, you get really close to bringing something to commercialization and they, and they don't, they, they find something wrong with it because they don't want to, you know, be done with it and have to move on to the next thing. I said, geez, why can't I just find a cubicle job at IBM like everybody else? And he looked at me like only a father can look at his daughter like you're an idiot. And he goes, you're a farmer. You like to make things grow. You grow companies now. That's what you do. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I get it. But I think that the same thing was with the charter schools. They were little new entrepreneurial schools and they needed help and funding. And um, at the time, my daughter needed a public education option and the public education option was this charter school and they needed a development director. And I thought, well, I can raise money in the private sector. I should be able to raise money in the nonprofit sector. And that was a jump, <laughs> but it was a learning curve. Um, at the time, legislatively, charter schools were in trouble here in New Hampshire. So I, I got a legislative education as well. And then um, I was really looking for, once I got them sustainable funding-wise, I, I knew I was I just wanted to move on from there. And then this just seems to be a, a natural challenge that, you know, there's 400 agencies out there that are also like little entrepreneurial companies themselves trying to meet the need. And so I'm kind of still a farmer <laughs> and so I'm trying to, you know, grow those partner agencies so that they can meet the needs of the food insecure in the state. Well, what I hear from that story is the huge advantage to the food bank that you are able to bring together all of those different pieces from the analytics, which is so necessary to analyze what's going on out there and how you meet that need and the financial, which is critical to say with the dollars that we have, how can we maximize that as much as possible in the organizational side of it, of you saying, okay, I'm going to uh, manage all these pieces to do the best I can to meet the needs. So 
kudos to you and kudos to them for, for finding you and having you join them. Now, I know recently you also were recognized as a Business Excellence Award winner from the New Hampshire Business Review. Congratulations on yes. that. And what does that recognition mean to you? That was a mistake. <laughs> no, My development director came to me and, and I could have sworn she said that it was the food bank that was going up for the award, not me. So I said yes to it. And then it they came back and it was all written up. And I was like, wait a minute, this is all about me. No, 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 no. They had already submitted it. So that's, I don't like attention, <laughs> but it's all about the work. It's not about me. So uh, that that's, it was, it was a little hard for me. I'll be honest. Um, Cause it really, it's not about me. It's I'm just lucky to be in this position to be able to steer this bus. Um, but it's all the folks on this bus with me that make it happen. And there's only about 40 of us. It's a daunting task, but everyone here is so mission driven that we just make it work, you know? Uh, it, it did mean a lot to me, but it meant a lot to me as representative of the food bank, not really me. I understand where you're coming from. And it, it's that kind of humility that I think is one of my most admired qualities. But it does take a strong leader to make sure that everything operates correctly. But I know what you're saying about your team of 40 is what makes it happen. But it's also you as that leader that guides them to allow it to happen. So I've had delighted that I've had this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. It's been tremendous. So Eileen, congratulations on that recognition. I know you you feel like it was a mistake, but it wasn't. <laughs> I, I'm a big proponent of things happen for a reason. Uh, and your reason is so that you could talk about the New Hampshire food and give the recognition to those 40 people that you talked about that helped make that happen throughout the year. So congratulations. Um as you look at your career, and we we tend to ask this question of, of those who are successful in what they're doing or doing amazing things in New Hampshire, as you look at your career, are there any mentors, either formal or informal, you know, someone that you looked up to that helped guide you along the way? Absolutely. Um, when I said I worked at the Center for Venture Research at the University of New Hampshire when I was in graduate school, Bill Wetzel. Um, my professor there, he was amazing, Just absolutely amazing. Um, and one of the angel investors that I got to work with because of Bill, because we started the um, venture resources was uh, Mort Goulder, an angel investor, famous in New Hampshire. Just very, very down to earth people that, you know, wealth never got, wealth or fame never got to them. They just saw the fundamentals of what needed to get done. And I could see them really draw out in people the potential that they, they had the ability to speak to someone at their level, wherever they were and start. And then they always built from there. I think one of the things that I learned from Mort was how to get in someone else's shoes. When you're at the deal table and you're trying to make a deal happen, get in somebody else's shoes, look outside their eyes and identify what are their fears and then speak to those. And you just, you just cut through so much when you just concentrate on what's going to make you comfortable. What are you uncomfortable about? And and working through those details just very humanely. <laughs> um, they had a way of making what seemed difficult or complicated very simple and just keeping it to the fundamental basics. And um, I think that served me well and that, that humility and servitude, um, I think, has served me well as, as well. Well, cer certainly some sage advice. And, and we thank your dad, too, for his sage advice to you that now you're, <laughs> you're growing. <laughs> you like to grow things. 
That was one of the most hilarious moments of my life. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right, Dad. Simple, making something very simple, right? Bill also had great advice. What was it? He said, um, when you don't know what to do, do nothing. It'll come to you. (laughs) Don't do something for the sake of doing something. Don't worry about it. It'll come to you. So, so Eileen, we also ask uh, people as we, as we end our podcast, what else would you like our listeners to know about Eileen Laponis? Um, happily married, mother of three daughters. We like to call ourselves the Estrogen Circus. And my husband is the most spoiled man on the face of the earth. <laughs> Sounds all good. Yep. We're looking forward to the holidays and having the circus all come home. So Eileen, thank you for joining us today from McLean Middleton Minutes. And and thank you for what you do every day to help those in need. You can learn more about how the New Hampshire Food Bank is creating systemic change in the fight against hunger by visiting nhfoodbank.org. And I know you say the New Hampshire Food Bank stares down hunger each day from all sides. So thank you for what you do every day and what, what the people within the organization do for us every day. Thank you for your support and the opportunity to bring the awareness of food insecurity throughout the state. Great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to McLean Middleton Minutes, a production of the McLean Middleton Law Firm. We invite you to share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. Check back soon for additional episodes. Mm-hmm.